oh, wasn't that so soothing? You're like, you guys want to take a nap? That's not normally how we kick off a service, but that's all right. I felt it was kind of appropriate because I came home the other day and I found Amber in the kitchen of our apartment. She's crying. And immediately I'm like, oh crap, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? What did I forget to do? I knew it was something me related. And she was like, oh no, it wasn't you, it wasn't you. And I'm like, well, what could have possibly happened that made you feel this way? And she said, you know my teapot? I'm like, oh, I know the teapot, like the special teapot, the one that your family bought you and sent, you know, from Disney World, that really fancy Japanese one that like you drink out of every single day. It's like a full-on tea ceremony in Amber's kitchen when she does this. I think we got a picture actually of the teapot. I mean, it's like a tea light. You know, we, we can't pour boiling water in there. No, no, no. You want to let the candle heat up the water, you know? I don't even know if that's how it works, but anyway. Anyway, in my mind, that's what's going on. So anyway, she says, you know the teapot? And I said, yeah. She said, today it fell off the counter, got knocked off, and it shattered on the ground, and I'm just so upset. And I got to tell you, like normally when stuff gets broken, if a dish gets broken in my house or whatever, I'm like, eh, no big deal, right? It's like six bucks at Ikea to replace it. But I knew this one was special. It's not exactly the most expensive teapot in the world, though I will tell you it was worth more than I thought it was when she told me. But anyway, uh, somebody else bought it. So I, didn't, I never knew how much it even cost. But you know, Amber was really upset, very, very hurt. That's something that was so meaningful, something that had so much value attached to it was broken and it was really irreparable. It was shattered. There was like no amount of gluing or puzzling or piecing back together that was going to make this thing right. Now, if you see my wife crying this morning, it's not because this message was just so powerful and touching her. It's because she was like, I don't even know if I want you telling this story. I don't know if I can handle it. All right. This was a very hard moment for her to have something that she loved, something valuable break in front of her. I wonder this morning if you've ever had broken things in your life. Have you ever had anything break? Now, I'm not talking about teapots or electronics. I'm asking if you've ever had those big breaks, those big fractures, the shattering of the most important things in your world and how it made you feel. I'm talking about broken relationships. I'm talking about broken dreams, maybe a, a broken marriage. Perhaps you've had a, a broken body at some point. Or you've had a, a broken faith, a broken relationship with God. Something has shattered, something has cracked, something has fractured, and it left you feeling sad and regretful and wounded and wondering, how am I going to move forward and still feel whole after this? If that's you, if you've ever had that experience, and man, haven't we all? We've all been there before. If you've ever had that experience, then today what I want to do before we take communion together at the end of the message is I want to share for you a story from the final days of the life of Jesus. And in this story, we're going to see that something gets broken. And everybody around says, oh, what a tragedy, what a shame, what a waste, what a loss. But Jesus frames this breaking in a totally different way. And it reminds us that, hey, we serve a God who can take broken things and turn them into beautiful things. We serve a God who can take fractured relationships and restore them whole. We serve a God who can take someone who feels hopeless, circumstances that feel like there is no way out, and he truly can turn them around for good. Promise you, this is going to be a powerful story. It takes place in Mark chapter number 14. Actually, as we'll see, 
It takes place in all four of the Gospels, but each time this story is recounted, it gives us a little extra detail here and there, and so when we combine all of these together, we get the full picture. Mark chapter number 14, the scripture tells us that it was two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Now, if you're Jewish, you know exactly what that means. If you're me, you're like, what? I don't, what is that, okay? So this marks the time that this event takes place as being right around what we know is Easter, okay? This is two days, basically, before Jesus is gonna be arrested and eventually put to death. This is the final little bit of his life. The scripture says, it was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and to kill him. Did you guys know that Jesus' greatest enemies during his life were religious people? Some of you are like, oh, I have something in common with Jesus now. Yeah, the religious people were the ones that he didn't get along with, the ones that didn't understand him, the ones that thought they had God figured all out. And when he came and said and did and taught the things he did, it completely blew up all of their paradigms. And boy, did they hate it. In fact, for them, it constituted blasphemy. And in their day, if somebody committed blasphemy, you killed them. So they're thinking about a way to secretly capture Jesus and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or people may riot. It's like the holy holiday around here. We can't murder Jesus on God's day. We'll wait till Monday comes around. And then on Monday, we'll do what we need to do with your boy. Everybody good? Yeah, okay. All right, so the plan goes into motion. Now, meanwhile, verse number three, Jesus was in the town of Bethany. He was at the home of a man named Simon who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of spikenard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over Jesus' head. All right, this is the start of the story, and it's going to go in some really cool directions here, but I want to make sure that you understand precisely what's going on. So let's kind of focus in, just, you know, zoom in a little bit on these elements. Jesus is eating, and here's a weird fact. This doesn't even matter in the course of the message, but in Jesus' day, they didn't have dining room chairs. They had dining room pillows, and they didn't sit, like, with their legs crossed. They actually reclined. I I often think about this, because there are references to Jesus reclining and eating, and I'm like, how do you even try to get a spoonful of of like poutine or something, you know, a spoonful. Anyway, like I just, you know, like it just seems very awkward, but that's the way they did it. So anyway, Jesus is reclining around the table with the other disciples and the scripture says a woman comes up to him. Now, who exactly is this woman and why is she so important in this story? Well, here in the gospel of Mark, It's just that she's a woman. That's all that's said. But I told you, if we go to different places in the Bible, different retellings of this episode throughout the Gospels, we'll find different details, added details, not contradictory details, just a little extra detail. So anyway, if we go to the book of Luke, Luke tells us that it was a sinful or an immoral woman that came up to him. Now, what is it that made this woman immoral? Was she somebody who liked to gossip on Facebook? Is that what qualified her as immoral? Was she one of those awful, awful people in the world who do not return their shopping cart to the corral? Like, come on, guys, it's right there. That might've been enough to qualify her as sinful, at least in my mind. No, all right, let's just be real. We're all adults here. In Bible times, if we called somebody an immoral woman, that is code for prostitute. She was a woman who was engaged in sex work. She was living the life of a prostitute. 
okay? So right away, we see, at least with that added detail, that this has a little extra meaning. This isn't one of Jesus' like, you know, normal followers and stuff. This was a scandalous woman, somebody who had a past, somebody that had a reputation. And for her to just waltz right into somebody else's house and to do what she's about to do, this is a pretty big deal. So this woman comes in, and the scripture says that she has an alabaster jar. Does anybody know what alabaster is? I had no idea. I had to look it up. I'm not even going to lie. There are things they teach you in seminary. There are things they teach you, and then you forget. I don't know if they taught me this, and I forgot, or what it was, but I needed to go to Google and find out, all right? Alabaster is a type of rock. It's a type of stone, and it's very similar to marble. So if you just picture marble, you're going to be in the right ballpark. Now, the scripture says she has an alabaster jar or box that contained precious oil. uh, The scripture says specifically that it was a beautiful jar or a beautiful box. It was valuable. It was ornate. It was pretty. Um, So what would happen is they would either have like a vase, kind of like we would think of, or it would be a box with like maybe a hole in the top. And you would put uh, wax, a wax seal over the top of it so that the contents wouldn't be spilled. So the reason that I bring all this up is because what she does with this alabaster box is pretty important in just a moment. But I want you to understand the box itself was valuable. It was pretty. This was not something that the average person had with them. So she walks up to Jesus, this sinful woman with this crazy reputation. She pulls out this very beautiful, ornate alabaster jar. And the scripture says that it is full of a perfume that's made from the oil of spikenard. Does anybody know what spikenard is? I was doing a lot of Googling and studying for this. Now, some of you do because you're those essential oil people, and apparently spikenard is important or it's like common in your diffusers and stuff. Anyway, it is a plant that grows over in the Middle East. It's still around today. It's kind of similar maybe to lavender. It's kind of got this nice smell to it, and it was often used as like perfuming agent and things like that. Very, very valuable. In fact, catch this now. We haven't read it, but in a moment, we're about to read this, we are going to find out that the value of the spikenard oil, the perfume in that, uh, in that jar, was worth about one year's wages. So she, woman with a reputation, living a crazy life, here's that Jesus is having dinner. She barges right in. She pulls out from her purse or pocket, I don't know what they did back then, she pulls out this very beautiful jar And inside is something that's worth in modern times, let's call it $50,000. Like, whoa, this got noticed. This was like, everybody's like, whoa, stop the music, stop talking. What is it that's going on here? So pay attention, okay? I don't want you to miss this. I'm kind of going slow here because I need you to catch this. You have a woman who's living a, quote, immoral lifestyle. She comes to Jesus And she has something of incredible value, financial value. Like this was more money than the vast majority of people in their day would ever have in their hands at one time. So frankly, how did she get that money? What did she have to do to get that much financial resource in her hand at one time? You're like, oh, that's kind of ugly, man. Do we need to be talking about this? Yeah, I think you do in order to understand the import of the message and why what happens in just a moment is so scandalous and then it turns out to be so beautiful. Woman shows up, very valuable thing that she got through the proceeds of her immoral lifestyle. So please stay with me. This boxer jar full of oil, it represents her sinful broken life. 
It represents the things that she's been doing, the things that she's been pursuing for the last many years. It is everything that has led her to this point. This little box or jar of alabaster oil is is pretty important. Now, there's one more detail in verse number three that I want you to catch before we move on, and I promise you, you're gonna see why all of this matters. In verse number three, the scripture says, she broke open the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, catch this. Jars have openings built in. These alabaster boxes had holes that were inside of them. She could have just peeled off the wax seal and poured it. She could have just pulled the cork and dumped it over Jesus' head. But the scripture is very clear here. She broke the alabaster jar. I don't know if she had strong hands or what, but she broke this marble box and then she poured it over Jesus' head. This is super important, okay? Because everything in this story that represents her old way of life, everything that represents her her sinfulness, her separation from God, her distance from all the people in the world, everything that represents the loss of her innocence is going to be broken and given to Jesus in this story. Ah, it's important. Both the oil and the beautiful box get used up, damaged, and destroyed in this story. She's not going to keep any of it. She's not going to hold, she's not going to dump the oil and say, but the box is still worth a lot of money, y'all. I could go fill it up or I could sell it to somebody else. No, she is going to break and give. She is going to use up and lose the value of every single thing in this act of worship. Hey, can I tell you guys something? Worship is always an act of sacrifice. Worship is always a sacrifice. Listen, coming here this morning was a sacrifice on your behalf. It cost you time, right? You could have been doing anything else, like whatever else you're doing with this hour, you could have been doing it. Worship costs you your pride because worship means to lay yourself down at somebody else's feet. It means to say, you're greater than I am. I'm giving you the honor. I'm giving you the glory. I'm not keeping it for myself. So if you worship God the way that this woman does, it is an act of humility. It is, a, it is a, an unbearing, an uncovering of ourselves so that we can stand wide open before God the way the song said this morning. Worship will always cost you something. Sometimes worship even costs you your treasures like it did for this woman. Worship is never convenient. It's never easy. There is always a price that has to be paid. If it doesn't include that sacrifice, then it's not real worship. Because this woman was willing to sacrifice for Jesus, he's gonna transform her circumstances and situations in an incredible way. All right, Jesus is having dinner, laying around with the homies. This random lady walks in. She breaks open this very expensive box. She dumps perfume all over his head, which by the way, was a totally normal thing in their day. If you did it to me today, we'd probably fight. Um, but like in their day, this was a very honorable thing to do for somebody. Now watch this, verse four. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Oh, man. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. Remember, this is 48 hours before Jesus is gonna die. 
Okay, so what I want you to recognize is that there are two responses to this broken jar, two responses to this act of sacrifice and brokenness that happens in the story. Some people apparently believe that this moment was wasted, that this, they viewed it as a missed opportunity. Something of value was damaged and lost. It was shattered, it was broken, and it seemed like there was no value or point in it. They see this poor woman who comes in, she finally acknowledges like her pain and her mistakes and her sinfulness and her brokenness. She's finally giving it to God as an act of like repentance and worship. And what do they do? They attack her with their words. They make her feel like a failure. They burden her with even more regret than she had before she walked in. Oh, sweet Jesus, don't ever let us be the kind of church that burdens people this way. Don't ever let us be the kind of Christians that when somebody starts taking steps towards God, we say, oh no, not you, or not yet. No, we wanna be the kind of people that are like, hey, lady, come sit over here. Hey, lady, wow, that's beautiful. I can learn something from you in this moment. You're teaching me something about the grace and goodness of Jesus. Unfortunately, the religious people in her day were keeping her at bay and making things even harder for her. Now, you've probably heard some of those voices in your life or maybe in your churches in the past. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be a boss. Those words might have even come from your very own head. There is often this voice when things go wrong in our lives, either through our own choice or circumstances beyond our control that says, well, you done screwed up this time. And there's no hope. You have really, God wants nothing to do with you. Your family wants nothing to do with you. You are out of luck. You're out of options. You might as well give up. We're going to talk about why you shouldn't listen to that voice in just a moment. In order to understand that, I think we need to look at who exactly it is that's saying these things in this story. Who is it that's all indignant and telling this woman that she shouldn't be doing these sorts of things? Well, in Mark, we're just said some people. But if we go to Luke's account, we find out that some of the people who viewed this as wasteful were called Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were like a super legalistic religious group. They were the ones who were like, hey, if you wanna belong to our church, then you've gotta dress like this and talk like this and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do, right? So that was who they are. And they were so scandalized by the fact that this immoral woman was honoring Jesus, and equally so, that Jesus was receiving honor from this scandalous, immoral woman, that they were like, I can't believe it. No Messiah would act this way. This is not, this is proof that he's not who he says he is. We learn another thing from the Gospel of John. This one I find super interesting. I'm not surprised that the religious people didn't get it. But we learn that there was one of the disciples who really didn't like this woman's actions, breaking the jar spreading the oil or pouring the oil on Jesus. There was a disciple who didn't like it. Do you know who it was? Judas. Yeah, that guy. So you go to John chapter number 12. We don't have the verse on screen, but let me just tell you what it says, and you can go double check me to make sure that I'm telling you the truth. In John chapter number 12, we're told that it's actually Judas who utters the words, why didn't you sell this money and give it to the poor? He's the one that says that. One of Jesus' own 12 guys, okay? Now, John gives us this really juicy tidbit in John chapter number 12. And he says, the reason that Judas said this is not because Judas cared anything about the poor. Instead, John tells us that Judas was the treasurer of the 12 apostles. Did you know that? He was the guy who kept track of the money. John says 
They didn't know it at the time, but they learned later that all throughout Jesus' ministry, Judas had been stealing from the offering. So he sees this woman come in, and she makes this big offering to Jesus. And he says, oh, we could have done such good with it. What he really meant was that would have done such good for me. He wanted that money for himself. Okay, so watch this now. The people who are criticizing this woman, the people who are saying that this awful, like, situation, her past, the brokenness, all that, the, one who, the ones who are criticizing her, they have selfish and unchristlike agendas. That's what's motivating them. Their motives are impure. And I don't want to dive too deeply on this today, but we need to be careful which voices we allow to speak into our lives. Listen, just because somebody is speaking loudly or confidently to you does not mean that they are speaking correctly. There are people who will, they will speak to you as if they've got it figured out, But in reality, if their words don't line up with the mind, the will of God in Christ, then we need to be very cautious about listening to them. I am not telling you, cut out all your non-Christian friends and, you know, go hide in a monastery somewhere. I'm just saying, be careful because there there are a lot of people that will speak confidently, but they're not speaking correctly. The scripture tells us to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. That means like, you know, if you get a vision, you need to check it out according to scripture. If your mama starts giving you advice, you should check it according to the word, according to wise counsel, so that you are continuing to walk in the ways of Jesus. So I'm just gonna pause for a moment. I'm just gonna ask you, who in your life might you need to hit the mute button on? Who in your life is speaking directly and loudly, but they're, they're directing you away from the goodness and the graciousness of God through Jesus? Again, just be cautious with those voices. So one lens through which this woman's like, action is that it's, it's viewed is that it's wasted, okay? It's lost, it's broken, it's not a good thing. But according to Jesus, this moment wasn't wasted, it was anointed. Check out, we, we already read it here. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why are you criticizing her for doing such a good thing to me? That word that's translated good in the original language, in Greek, it means beautiful, Why are you criticizing her for doing such a beautiful thing for me? Yeah, but Jesus, don't you know about that woman's past? Don't you know about her last weekend? You with me? Don't you know where that oil came from? Don't you know how she got it? Yes, I know all of that. Don't criticize her for doing something beautiful to me. Jesus didn't view this as a waste. He viewed it as an opportunity, as an anointing, as a special moment. See, when something is wasted, it is spent, given, or lost, and there's no value gained in return. But when something is anointed, that means it is chosen, it is set apart, it is given for a special purpose. And so what Jesus says is important here is not the woman, it's not her reputation, it's not what she was up to last week, it's not how she got the money. What's important Important is what she's doing right now. She is offering her brokenness to Jesus, unafraid, uncovered, so to speak, spiritually speaking, and saying, God, I have made a mess, and this bottle and this oil represents every dumb decision I've made. And today I'm breaking it, and I'm giving it to you, and I'm asking you to see it as something truly beautiful. Many of you have been through this journey. I know that I have. This isn't just this woman's story. It's my story too. You know, I I grew up in very broken circumstances. You know, my mom abandoned me when I was two years old. She split, left the family. 
I watched my dad for my entire childhood battle the demons of substance abuse and all sorts of other stuff. We lived growing up like in genuine poverty, you guys. Like we were real bad off. I lost close family members to cancer when I was a kid. I got myself into trouble with like the school and the law and every other adult besides my parents. You know what I mean? Like I was coming from some really broken circumstances back in the day. And by the time I was in my late teens, can I tell you that I was afraid that my life was already wasted? I was afraid that the decisions that I had made And the unfair things that had been done to me had already compromised my future. They had already ruined the potential that was in me. I was 16 years old, 15 years old, and I had already just decided, well, I guess I'm going to be like the family I grew up in. I guess I'm just going to be one of those rednecks from the neighborhood who's never able to get beyond what we've seen and experienced. I used to have bitterness towards my family because of the choices that they made. I used to be angry with God because I'm like, this is not fair. Like everything I have to deal with and I'm five, six, come on. Can you not at least like, I mean, it just seems like I got a raw deal here. Seemed like my circumstances were wasted, full of brokenness, and there was nothing good that could come out of them. But can I tell you with all sincerity, I don't feel that way today. I don't harbor any bitterness towards my family. I've restored those relationships. I've been able to forgive and let go because God through Christ has forgiven me. He's let go of all the dumb stuff I did back in the day. Rather than resenting the life that I had growing up today, I thank God for it. You couldn't possibly pay me enough money or convince me to trade in what I went through as a kid because now I see it not as something that was wasted, but something that was anointed. There was a brokenness And I didn't understand how that brokenness could have any value, but today I see, oh no, we serve a God who can take broken things, anoint them, and turn them into beautiful things. What made the difference for me? What made the difference for this sinful woman here in Mark 14? What can make the difference for you? That's the wrong question. The question is what made the difference? The question is who made the difference? And I'm just telling you guys, it's Jesus Christ. He's the hero of the story. He is the one who is able to take our worst, biggest, most awful decisions and truly transform them, anoint them, and make them beautiful in God's sight. Maybe we could kind of I don't know, summarize it like this. And this is part of the reason I just, I love Jesus so much. I was having a conversation with a lost person the other day and man, they had questions about like the book of Genesis and inerrancy of the Bible and you know, all these different things. And we're kind of talking through some of that stuff. And you know, in the end, I'm like, look, the thing that convinced me was not like arguments for like, how do we interpret Genesis or, you know, is the Bible trust? That's, that's not it. The thing that eventually convinced me is the one who transformed me. It's Jesus, okay? So maybe I want to summarize it like this. Jesus reframes my brokenness in light of God's goodness. Jesus reframes my brokenness in light of God's goodness. Listen, the brokenness that you carry, the dark stuff that you don't like talking about or that you've never talked about, the stuff that you're afraid if people even knew that it existed in your past, maybe even your present, that is the sort of stuff that if you were to offer that brokenness, give God those broken pieces, Jesus would see it differently than you do. He would see it differently than your family does. He would see it differently than our culture does. He wouldn't say, what a waste. He would say, oh, this is something beautiful. I can work with this. I can do something with this. Jesus reframes my brokenness in light 
of God's goodness. If that isn't reason to celebrate, I don't know what is. Now, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward. They're going to start passing out communion elements because we've told you all along that this is a communion message, right? We've got communion graphics on the screen. We're going to be putting um, these weird little pieces of bread and juice in your hand. We'll talk about these in a sec. Um, but this, doesn't, this isn't a traditional communion passage. You know what I'm saying? Like when I've had the Lord's Supper before, I don't really ever remember this story being the text from which we did communion. However, I've got to tell you, this is the perfect story to kick off communion. You can start passing them out. They're going to just, uh, what are the instructions here? Take one, pass it down until there's, you know, everybody gets one. I was going to make a, a joke, but I won't. Okay, watch now why I think this is such an appropriate passage of scripture before we take communion together. If we read Mark 14, verses eight and nine, Jesus is like, leave this woman alone. Why are you giving her such a hard time? What she's done is a beautiful thing. And he goes on to say this. He says, she has done what she could and she has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. See, Jesus links her worship, her anointing, that sacrifice. He links it to his impending death. He says, I want you to connect what just happened in this moment to what's going to happen over the next few days. I want you to see the connection between these two things. And if you pay really close attention, there are some interesting, interesting parallels between the two. See, if we jump down to verse number 13 of Mark chapter 14, the scripture tells us that Jesus has left the house at Bethany. There's been a, a day or so that's passed. And then he is gathered together with his disciples in the upper room and they are about to take communion, the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal together with one another. And we read that as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he gave them, uh, he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to each of the disciples and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. So I want you to notice that at the last supper, Jesus uses the exact same words to describe what is happening and what is going to happen as were used to describe this woman's offering and sacrifice in the same way that she broke open her alabaster jar. She was willing to say, no, I will destroy, I will leave, I will let go of everything in the past, all that my sin has gotten me. In the same way that she broke the alabaster jar, Jesus' body was literally and physically broken for us on the cross. And in the same way that she was willing to pour out the oil, and boy, did it seem like such a waste to people who didn't have the mind of God. Jesus' blood was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness, the remission, the getting rid of all of our sins. And that might seem like a waste to you today, but can I tell you, it is a beautiful thing, just like it was for this sinful woman way back in Mark chapter number 14. The message of, of this passage and communion, really the message of our faith, the message of what it means to be a Christian is that Jesus was broken so we could be whole. Jesus was broken 
so that we could be whole. This is what you are offered today. See, God isn't always going to like repair all your brokenness. In the same way that like we just couldn't repair Amber's teapot. There was no way of putting that sucker back together. There are things that have occurred in your life and guess what? They cannot be undone, Ah, but they are not wasted. They can be used. God can anoint them and turn them into something beautiful. Rather than your past and reputation and mistakes and all of that regret, rather than that being something that should keep you away from God, it's the very thing that allows you to draw close to him. If you'll just give him the broken pieces and say, this is an act of worship. I don't even understand how it's gonna work, God, but I give it to you today. Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus allowed his life to be poured out so that we could be filled up and live life overflowing. (laughs) Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. When we take communion today, we are not merely remembering what Jesus did. We are experiencing what Jesus does for us every single day. So the opportunity to take this meal together is a special one. Can I tell you, this is why we don't do it every day. I often get asked and people are like, well, how come we don't do communion like every Sunday? And like, we could, we totally could. There's no like frequency prescribed in the scripture. But can I tell you, I want to do it just infrequently enough that you want it. <laughs> I want you, I want you to say, whenever you do communion again, I miss that. Because communion actually means intimacy or experiencing the presence of God. It is allowing yourself to be close to the God who loves you. you can take your brokenness turn it into something beautiful. So you've got your little lunchable communion. We like to joke about these here at Connect. They're not, they're the easiest and most sanitary, so this is what we use. And what you're gonna notice is that there are two elements, just like there were two elements at the Last Supper that the disciples took with Jesus. There is what we call unleavened bread, which means it's not very tasty, and then there is juice. Now, we could use wine, but there are some of you guys that like your you know, your dry January has turned into dry February. And so like we're, we're trying to be conscientious of that, okay? So we've got bread and we've got juice. And what we're gonna do is we're going to take both of these elements one at a time together. And the thing is, before we take them, I wanna give you the opportunity to give your brokenness to God because it would be so ironic and frankly, such a shame to take a meal that represents the wholeness that God offers you and yet not to actually ask for the wholeness, not to receive the wholeness. And so I'm gonna say, if you're here and you say, listen, I've got a lot of brokenness and I need God to turn it into something beautiful, then bow your head, close your eyes right where you're at. I'm gonna give you some words and you can just repeat these in your heart to God. You might say, dear Jesus, today I'm giving you my brokenness. All the mistakes I've made, all the sin I've committed, God, I don't want that anymore. Instead, I want something whole and beautiful from you. Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for your goodness in my life. I pray this by faith in your name, amen. If you made that confession, that declaration today, we do wanna know about it. And somebody, my wife, Kyle, somebody's gonna tell you how you can let us know and how we can help. But that means you're ready to take communion. So I'm going to invite you. There are two tabs here. One is real thin. It's a little cellophane, and it's going to give you access to the bread. So you can pull that. You can take it out. And I just want you to remember the words that Jesus spoke before the disciples and he ate. He said to them, take and eat this. It is my body, which is broken for you. 
God, may your brokenness bring true wholeness and healing to each person in the room. We pray this in your name.